gathering of First Baptist uh, Connection class this morning. Got to have breakfast with them this morning. It was good. First time I've had biscuits and gravy in about eight months. And um, I did sin. And I have already repented and blamed Dick Garland for it, but uh, it was good. It was really good. But you all sounded so good. When I came in this hallway, I went, oh, man, I got to get in there. I don't want to miss this. And Doug, you guys sounded so good this morning coming in. It was just exciting to be able to be in God's. If you're glad to be here, I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, I'm glad to be sitting beside you. And tell them they're good looking. Okay, now I didn't say laugh about it. Okay. Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Um, I'm so glad to be able to take the Word of God today and just open it up. We're in this series of Jesus wants his church back. If you remember and you recall the first message in this series, we looked at Revelation chapter 3 where it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. We talked about that, what that really means in the life of this church. Today we're going to look at a very unusual uh, thought, but I want us to think about Christianity without Jesus. Okay? Okay. Now, I got some of your attention anyway. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I believe in the King James Version it says iniquity. You workers of sin. One of the wonders of the world is the Taj Mahal. The Shah that that built the Taj Mahal in 1629 was heartbroken over the death of one of his favorite wives. So to commemorate her, he ordered this magnificent memorial to be built. This building is so grand that, that many of us now use the name Taj Mahal as a, a description of buildings of spectacular proportions or indescribable beauty. Before he started building, the Shah placed his wife's casket in the middle of the construction site so that the memorial would be built on top of her remains. And so as he built, he became greatly enamored by this amazing project. And so he worked on it with such passion, making it bigger and, and better and grander and bigger and more expensive than anything he ever imagined. And during construction, workers excavated portions of the land to begin to sink the foundation. And as the story goes, the Shah stumbled over the corner of a box in the dirt. Irritated, he had it removed to make way for the memorial. And the result was this, that the building was erected, but when it was finished, the woman's remains were nowhere to be found. He built the building, 
but he forgot to hang on to the woman it was meant to commemorate. The very one the Taj Mahal was built to honor was discarded in construction. That's not the only time this has happened, ladies and gentlemen. How often has Jesus Christ been thrown out when Christians built things that were supposed to honor him? I wonder if maybe, just maybe, we have a watered-down version of the Christian faith when we have lost the grace of Jesus and the love of Jesus and the truth of Jesus and the passion of Jesus and the sacrifice of Jesus and, yes, even the joy of Jesus. I want to talk to you this morning about the signs of Christianity without Jesus. The first one is this. Many Christians don't look much like Jesus. Not only don't we look like Jesus, but we don't love like Jesus. And we don't lead like Jesus, and we don't live like Jesus does. We may be believers, but we're not becomers. We may show up at church, but for the rest of the week, we don't practice Jesus's words. The Bible has become a message book instead of a method book. Many Christians will have their opinions about the Bible, but they don't base their actions on the Bible. The Bible affects their beliefs, but it does not affect their behavior. And so I would tell you that, that, that many Christians don't look much like Jesus. How much do you look like Jesus? For many, many years in my life as a pastor and then as a, uh, a Christian leader, I would tell you that, that I, I lived a double life. I lived a life that... Uh, I, I had to, to get up in front of people, and, and, and I had this role to do and this job to do, but I, I will be very, very honest with you. For many years, I was, I was struggling with this exchanged life and this, this life of joy and this life of, of, of knowing and living in this grace. I can tell you t- today, and, and even yesterday as I played golf with a friend, I, I was expressing to him that that. that I would not take anything for what Christ is doing in my life right now. I, I, I know that he is real. I know that he, is, he has brought this joy in my heart. And even though at times I still trouble, uh, I still have troubles, I still have challenges, I, I can get cranky. Can you believe that? <laughs> my wife will verify that. Even this morning I got cranky. I'm surprised I didn't hear Jennifer say Amen. <laughs> But I got to tell you that, that I love what Jesus is doing in this old guy right now. Because I, I wake up in the morning challenged. I, I know that, that, that I have the opportunity. It's, it's, it's going to be a wonderful day. It's, it's, it's not because it's going to be you know, perfect. It's going to be because Christ is in me and living in me. And so many of us don't look much like Jesus. For many, many years of my life, I didn't look a lot like Jesus. In Cuba, I've been going there for many, many years, and one of the the leaders of that country has a picture of me up on his wall. Formerly, he was the president of Cuba. 
He's now the head of the Communist Party. His name is Raul Castro. One of my friends walked into his office one day and said, I, 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 I want to know who that man is that, that's shaking hands with your bodyguards. His bodyguards are his, his son and his grandson. And, and I, I suppose this is the way it happened because this is the way my friend told me it happened. He said he would not tell me that was Alan Spear. He just simply said, we will not give you his name, but we call him the Jesus man. Now, let me tell you something. You can call me a lot of things. In fact, I was telling somebody today, call me pastor. That's wonderful. I love that. Call me Alan. Now, if you call me Reverend Spear, I'll look behind me and look for my father. Okay? Uh, yeah, but, but, you know, I cannot tell you how much that blesses me when, when I'm known and associated by being called the Jesus man. I want to look like Jesus. I want to lead like Jesus. I want to love like Jesus. But many of us don't look much like Jesus in the church. There's a second thing. Many, many people outside of the church walls and even many people within the church walls are fed up with Christians and for good reason. Whether regular or irregular people flock to Jesus, but they stay away from Christians today in droves because people desperately need Jesus, yet some of the ones who represent him actually are repellents. I've experienced this myself. Let me, let me allow it. Uh, give me an opportunity to share this illustration with you. I was attending the Missouri Baptist Convention several years ago, and I confronted the Westboro Baptist Church picket group. They were there. And this man began screaming at the top of his lungs, holding a sign that said, the wages of sin is death. And he just kept saying, the way, and I mean, he was loud. And I attempted, though my attempt was futile, I attempted to talk to this man. And, and I wanted to say, you know, to this screamer, great verse. Why don't you complete it? And I simply said to the man standing behind the picketer, you nor your friend, you don't like to have conversations, do you? People, many people view Christians, people who are self-righteously headed for heaven but won't deal with the issues here on earth. Many people are, are tired of that. They're fed up with Christians. There are two recent polls taken. One said the percentage of Americans who have a favorable impression of Jesus is now at a soaring 90%. That's great, but a second poll showed that only 42% like evangelical Christians. More people like Jesus than they like Christians. Why is that? Well, because most Christians, thirdly, are known more for what they're against than what they're for. You know, there was an author by the name of Sheldon Van Nuken who found Christ with the help of C.S. Lewis who said this, the best argument for Christianity is Christians. Their joy, their certainty, their completeness. But the strongest argument against Christianity is also Christians when they're somber and joyless, when they're self-righteous and smug and complacent uh, consecration, when they're narrow or repressive, then Christianity dies a thousand deaths. 
You see, the American church, and I will go so far to tell you that the Southern Baptist Church has been known primarily by what we're against rather than what we're for. Do you know at one time, evangelicals were against dishwashers? My wife's very much in favor of dishwashers, and so am I. Do you know that, that we're also, at one time, we were against SpongeBob SquarePants? Do you know, at one time, we were against music, drums, guitars, shorts? I remember that day. My dad, oh man, my dad could wax long and hard about short shorts. Sandals. I like sandals. Spitting. Wearing clothes with stripes. I've never quite figured that one out. Wedding rings. Dancing. <laughs> Playing cards or billiards or dominoes. Sport of any activity on a Sunday. Going to movies. Watching TV. Listening to radio. This is stuff we're against at one time. Tattoos. Long hair on men. Short hair on women. The right of women to vote. Abolition of slavery. We were against caffeine, rock music, Harry Potter, wearing makeup or earrings. Still hadn't figured that one out. The list of things that we have protested or boycotted is endless. To name a few, Disney. Yeah, we boycotted Disney. Some of you weren't around back then. The Beatles, all rock music, Teletubbies. Santa, the Easter Bunny, Procter & Gamble products, and Marriott Hotels. Now, I've just given you a few things that we have boycotted and been against. But I know I've probably taken a little overboard, but I want you to understand that if we are known for what we're against rather than what we're for, our message will never be heard. And that brings me to this. Many Christians are Eeyores. You know, when you walk in the average church, it is somber and lifeless, and it makes you ask who died, not who lived. Listen, if you're visiting here this morning, I want you to understand we serve a risen Savior. He is alive. He is alive. His name is Jesus. And, and you see, when we did decide that things like, uh, when, when did we decide this, that, that joy and grace and celebration should be banned? When did we decide that replacing enjoying God with enduring life? When did we decide to trade grace for legalistic rules? When did we decide that worship should be somber or boring? Doesn't it sometimes feel like we have ignored the verse of Scripture that says the joy of the Lord is your strength? Or, or that we no longer are worshiping the same God who made King David dance with all his might. Oh man, I've gone to meddling now, haven't I? Makes me wonder that maybe the same committee that instituted the NFL's no celebration rule has infiltrated our churches as well. Let's win. Let's win. But, but let's really be quiet about it. Man, I'm telling you what, 
when, when, I played, when I played high school football and college football, if I scored a touchdown, I, I, I'm telling you, you would you'd, you'd have said, that's not the preacher's kid. I, I was dancing in the end zone. I loved it. Now, I would have got a flag thrown at me this time, but, but they knew that, man, I was, I was excited. And then I would tell you that most Christians have started caring about all the wrong things. A sermon became famous some years ago because the preacher started off by saying that 30,000 children died of starvation yesterday. And then he added, and most of you don't give a expletive. You know what he said? He said, what's worse is that you're more upset with the fact that I said expletive than the fact that 30,000 kids died yesterday. Many of us like to talk about the need for prayer in the schools, yet, you know what? We don't do anything about it. And let me tell you something. Couple that, couple that with the fact that millions of school children have no access to food, to books, to computers, or a good future. We blame the government, but if parents can't do it and the government won't, then who will? The church should. Christians should. Listen, you can't do anything about inserting prayer back in the public schools, but you know what you can do? You can infiltrate all the elementary and the middle schools and the high schools in this area, providing them with things that they need in order that we gain influence so we can share the unconditional love of Jesus Christ with those people. That's how you become a force to be reckoned with. And then I would tell you that some Christians have replaced relationship with ritual. You know, two things are in danger of taking over even this church. The first one is ceremonial Christianity. And for some of you, it's already taken over. Nothing wrong with ceremony or ritual or even tradition that can help people in their worship or even in their spiritual disciplines. And some people simply prefer them. But the truth is, God does not care about ceremony. He cares about your heart. Now, Jesus is searching for worshipers who worship him in spirit and in truth, not in ritual. Real relationship is always more important than any religious ritual. And the second thing taking over is religious legalism. Legalists will always judge you for not keeping their rules. In the popular television show, The Simpsons, I know you are just so enamored by my intellect. But I get, I get great illustrations from places because the Simpsons' neighbors, the Flanders, these folks, they're Christians. And one day, Maude Flanders returned home from a trip, and Homer Simpson asked her, where have you been? And Maude Flanders answered, I've been away at Bible camp learning how to be more judgmental. The problem is this. With all forms of legalism, is the focus is on human performance rather than God's love and grace. I was witnessing to a guy just recently, and he looked at me and he said, Man, what do you know about where I've been? You grew up in this perfect environment, Spear. 
Your dad was a pastor. Your mom, your mom and dad, your sister, they were all these perfect Christians. You, don't, you cannot even begin to imagine where I've come from. And while I will tell you that then in, in many ways I could not understand exactly where he came from, he was right. But I didn't grow up in the, in the perfect household. My father was a great, great godly model an example, and I thank God every day for that, but I grew up in the real world. I went to public schools. I went to public universities. I, 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 I grew up in that world. I would tell you that so much of my Christian world, though, I have noticed, and I have not only noticed, I have, I have taken not just the notes, but I have made uh, made decisions to not build my life upon this legalistic kind of attitudes. I want people to know and understand that apart from the grace and the love of Jesus Christ, listen, I don't have any worth in and of myself. I am not worthy to stand here and even talk to you based upon my merits, based upon my, listen, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But I want you to know that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I stand here today, a man who understands and is beginning to fully understand the grace of God. And in that grace, there is love and there is joy and there is peace. And that's the message that we have. As simple as that may sound, we cannot say to a lost and dying world, you comply with our rules. You comply with these things. Oh, no, no, no. A thousand times, no. Just show them a picture of who Jesus is. And they will run toward you. Because he has a love that is inexpressible. It's undeniable. It's attractive. Many, many Christians give simplistic answers to complex situations. God tells us there are secrets he is keeping, such as the date and the time of Christ's return. But I want you to understand and know that you're listening to a man that believes that Jesus is coming again. And he, he is coming quickly. He is coming soon. We don't hear that enough. But I want you to know and understand that the, 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 everything is playing out. Jesus is coming again, ladies and gentlemen. But we don't know when. Those secrets he has revealed, which, which oftentimes we understand by prayerful study of the word, but some Christians, I will just be honest with you, some Christians claim to know every certain answer to every deep question that Christians have struggled with for centuries. Their attitude is not only arrogant, it is misguided. But it also doesn't meet people's needs. Especially when answers hurt rather than help. I will never forget my wife had, had passed away in 2005. It wasn't 10 days after we had, we had had her memorial service and buried her. I had a lady in my church that came in 
And my secretary was there, and she said, Pastor, and she announced her, and she came in, and, and, and she walked in. Now, I'm 10 days having buried my wife, and this lady comes in, beginning to quote Romans 8, 28. But we know that all things work together for good. Can I tell you something? I, with everything that was within me, almost wanted just to stand up and run out of the room. Because at that point in time, I didn't need to hear Romans 8, 28. I was trying to figure out how I'm going to raise three kids by myself. And well-meaning, I guess, just horribly timed, I looked at her and I said, ma'am, I, I called her by name. I said, I, I can't do this. I can't do this right now. I can't hear Romans 8, 28. I, and she continued. And she told me some things. And I said, ma'am, and finally I just said, I've got to go to lunch. I'm going to let you sit here and talk to yourself. But I can't do this anymore. Now, I didn't mean to be rude, but guess what? She had already been rude. Talk about insensitive. I'm telling you that, that, that we give simplistic answers to complex situations. Let me give you a, a, a truthful illustration. There was a young couple in my church that received the news that during her pregnancy, this child was missing some genetic material. There, was, there, was a, there were problems with the pregnancy, the child. And the doctor said to these young, young want-to-be parents, they're going to be parents, your baby likely will not survive the, the pregnancy. And then he said, if he does, he will die right after you deliver that baby. The baby can't live, so we recommend ending the pregnancy now. The couple prayed about it, and they didn't feel right about intervening, so they decided to, to, to let God do whatever he was going to do, and to the amazement of all of those medical professionals, she delivered a living baby. And the doctor said, go ahead, hold your baby right now. He might not live only just a few minutes. They held their son, but he didn't die. And the parents spent the night there in the hospital, and that little boy lived through the night. And on the second night, they, they asked the doctor, can we take our little boy home? At least he'll die there with us. The doctor said, yes, but, but you need to be prepared because this baby is going to die. You are not going to have a long-term life with this child. The little boy lived another day at home, and his parents decided that they, since their son would not be with them long, they wanted to cram an entire lifetime into a short time that they would have with him. And so they threw a one-week birthday party for him. And every week they celebrated a birthday party. And it, they would invite us. They would invite the friends. And they took trips and they wheeled their infant son around the zoo and the beach. And any place they could think of, they wanted to cram everything in. One day my telephone rang. I received the news that, that little boy was gone. I got over to their house, and I found that, that mom still holding that little boy. Mom and dad, mom and dad had done so well in the face of tragedy, yet it was no less tragic. Before I left that day, I, I received an invitation from them to speak at that boy's memorial service. I remember leaving, getting in my truck and leaving, and I thought, man, what in the world will I talk about? 
I prayed. I felt God kind of drop this message in my heart for them. This is what I said. First, I'm really sorry. I'm so sorry. But I said, secondly, you guys are a strong bunch of people. You're amazing. The problem is this. There's a difference between certainty and clarity. When something like this happens, everyone wants clarity. Why would God let this happen? Why us? And a lot of well-meaning Christians have all kinds of stupid, tried answers. They're all happy to tell us what they are. I don't have all the answers, and they don't have all the answers either. What they say usually makes things worse. I don't have clarity, but what I do have is certainty. So I've made a list of what I'm certain of, and I'd like to read it to you. I am certain that your son was loved every second of every day of his life as much or more than any other kid I've ever met. I am certain that God was honored and blessed by the kinds of decisions you made in regard to your son. I am certain that you have been surrounded by the support of relatives and neighbors and friends who absolutely love you. I'm certain that the right road is never the easy road. And if every parent cared as much about their kids as you cared about your son, we would be a much better place. I am certain that no life is ever devoid of meaning, no matter how short that life, and that somehow God used and will continue to use your son in ways we will never be able to comprehend. I am certain that your son's last breath here was followed by his first breath in the arms of Jesus. I am also certain that the next time he is in your arms, he and you will be more alive than you have ever been before. And I'm certain that God is close to you because I'm certain that God, that the God that Christians worship understands what it means to lose a son. I'm certain of the great verse, let the children come to me. And I'm certain that 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 is where your son is right now. He is sitting in the arms of Jesus. Do you see the difference? Do you see the difference between clarity and certainty? We are not always going to have clarity. In this life, you will have great challenges. But be of good cheer, ladies and gentlemen. Because of your relationship with Jesus Christ, the Bible says you're an overcomer. You've overcome this world. Hello? Y'all with me? Did y'all turn my mic off? We are overcomers. So let's face it. Sometimes there are no simple answers. It does no good to try to, to, to live our faith without following the very source of it. Right now, First Baptist Church. First Baptist Church of Bradenton is in a transition period. I believe it to be one of the most exciting times a church can be in. Because guess what? Things are going to happen during that time. Things are going to come together during that time. There are going to be be discoveries that, hey, why do we do this? Why haven't we done this? And really, what is our mission? What is our vision? Why, Why are we here? What's our purpose? 
I told you that I had breakfast with a group this morning. It was, it was at Dick and Gertrude Garland's home. It, if you've not seen that home, it's a beautiful home, but just beautiful people that I had the privilege of spending time with. I don't know, about 25 of us this morning. That's not ministerially speaking either, okay? That's truthful, okay? It was wonderful. I had the opportunity to answer questions and talk and, and share, and, and I love doing those things. And, and I shared with them this morning, pray for your transition team. Tonight, they're going, to be, they're going to be talking with some of your staff. They're going to be interviewing some of your staff just to hear from their hearts. But God is saying to us today again, what does Jesus want us to do? And see, we're not always going to have the clarity, but we have the certainty. First Baptist Church, Start acting, start living, start coming to church, expecting God to do something, not because you came, but because he wants to do something. He wants to, to move in our midst. Y'all believe that? Yes. He does. Don't act so surprised now, because some of you are still wondering, man, this, this spear guy, what, who in the world thought he ought to come here? Listen, I'm just a tool. I'm just, a, I'm just God's tool for this moment. But I want you to know that we cannot live out our lives in this walk, in this relationship with Jesus, without Jesus. Because here's what happens. Look at this. Look at this. Without Jesus' love, you know what happens? We become critical. got quiet, didn't it? Without Jesus' sacrifice, you know what happens? We become selfish. It's my church. No, it's not. It's the Lord's church. He bought and paid for it with his own blood. We're his. Without Jesus' grace, you know what we do? We become legalist. Well, you know, so-and-so over there, I'm a lot better than they are. That's not your... That's not your example. Jesus is your example. He's your model. We get real legalistic. Without Jesus' direction, we become driven by opinion. I always tell my staff at Agape, you know, we can have a lot of opinions, and I love to hear opinions, but when it all comes down to it, what, what did Jesus want us to do? What does Christ want us to do? I, I got an opinion, but I have to get on my face and get on my knees and say, Lord, we need your direction. We need your leadership. Without Jesus' direction, we become driven by opinion. Without Jesus' values, we care about all the wrong things. I could go into great, great lengths of examples there that I've seen in churches. Man, sometimes people start owning their Sunday school class, even the room. They put little pillows in those rooms. And if somebody else has a meeting and, and moves those pillows, oh my goodness, you'd have thought, wow, what happened? Or they have chairs. or all. Listen, I don't, I don't mind if people make their rooms comfortable, but listen, this, is, this, this place, do you know the, one of the most wasted spaces we have is where we're sitting in. It's used about two hours a, a, a week. This is a beautiful room. And I guess 
I, I keep praying, Lord, I want to see this room used more than two hours. I want to see people in this room. How can we fill this room up, Lord, with people that need to hear about Jesus? Without Jesus' values, we care all about the wrong things. Without Jesus' wisdom, we become unbalanced. Without the passion of Jesus, we become boring. And without Jesus' joy, we become lifeless. That not only applies to us as individuals, but First Baptist Church, look, look at your neighbor and say, that applies to us too. There you go. It does. As a church, it applies to us. So where do we go? What do we do? We run to Jesus. We say, Lord, renew and restore the joy of my salvation. Lord, what do you want us to do? How do you want us to reach this community? Listen. There will be ways, there will be things that, that, that you do in the future that some of you will be scratching your head saying, we're doing what? Yeah, we're doing that in order to get people who have never darkened the doors because they matter and because Christ loves them, gave his life for them. I'll never forget on a Sunday night, in a church in North Little, Rock, North Little Rock, Arkansas, where I served on the staff, we were getting ready for Sunday evening. It was the day in which we still had Sunday evening church, and we had a service, and in that service walked about 15 or 20 bikers with leathers on. This would have been back in the 90s, early 90s, late 80s probably. And one of the guys had one of those those rooster crows, you know, the, that, that big old hair that was sprayed. I mean, he had so much hairspray in that thing that it was standing up about this high. And I, I wish you could have seen as, as they walked in and they sat right down here about where Doug's at, right here on the second row. And they walked in and I'm, I'm up here. At that time, I was a worship pastor and, and the choir had just sung and I, I, was, I was leading something and, and they walked in and you could just see everybody go, And they all sat in, and I'm thinking, oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you. And, and I'm, I'm just saying, Lord, just let us love. Let, oh, man. And during that, that evening, Dr., Dr. Brown preached, and I mean, he was a great preacher. He presented the gospel. Well, one, two, and three of those people from that biker gang came to receive Christ. Well, I'm standing here in the altar. I, I'm, I'm down here now. I'm letting somebody else lead worship. I want to get involved in this. And they came to know Christ. And I'll never forget that night as we were leaving the building, one of the men back in the, in the, in the, in the little alcove as we were leaving, he said, well, I wonder if that'll really stick. And I was 20-something to maybe 30. I turned around. I said, shame on you. I said, I hope they didn't hear that. What do you mean if Jesus will really stick? The Bible says, therefore, if a man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Listen, some of you here today need to hear this from this preacher. 
you got to get past your past, but the only way you're going to get past your past is understand your future is in Christ. Your present is in Christ. He will forgive you, but he'll not only forgive you, he'll bury your sins in the deepest part of the ocean to be remembered no more. And that's the gospel. Church, let's be a church that everything we do centers around Jesus. Everything. Make it simple. Keep it simple. But remember, this church exists because there are people who have never darkened the door who need to come to Christ. Don't worry about what they look like. I don't care what they look like. All I care about is their heart. Their heart. If they come in these, this room and they go, I want Jesus, man, that's like saying sick them to a dog. I want them to have Jesus. I want them to know Jesus. Bow your heads with me. Close your eyes. Today's message has been a little different.